uh, chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, turning our attentions this evening to Jesus as everlasting Father. Uh, we're just going to be focusing our attentions on that title in Isaiah 9, 6. And to do so, we'll be bouncing around Scripture a good bit. Uh, but now we'll read from uh, verses that are commonly read this time of year. John 1, verses 1 to 5. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As we come to learn from God's word, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, as we come to look at Jesus Christ, Father, would you stir up in our hearts a love for you? Would you make yourself bigger in our hearts and minds? Lord, would you change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There's probably no word more loaded, more pregnant with personal meaning and feeling. Uh, There's probably no word that comes uh, with more emotional baggage in all of the English language than the word father. For, For everybody, the word father brings something to mind, maybe even especially coming up to Christmas, a time that we view as an important time to spend together as families. Father, for you, maybe that's a word that is rich with memories, with happiness, as you think about your experience of being fathered well with love and care. Father might be a bitter sweet word for you, as yes, you fondly remember your father, but also keenly feel absence, maybe because of distance or illness or even death. And Father, for many of us, could even be a hard word. A word that brings up memories of harshness or or coldness or maybe something that we never had. A word that's even harder for our hearts to hear when it's pleasant to those around us. Father is a word that, whether we like it or not, has a foothold in our lives. And that's because God has created this world in his wisdom to be impacted by Father's for people to be cared for and raised and led by fathers. And so whether our fathers have done a good job or not, father is a concept that our hearts will always, always be impacted by. We were designed to be cared for, to be nurtured, to be protected, to be loved, to be corrected, to be encouraged by fathers. And while in worldly terms that might not be great news for you, or it might be okay or even good, Scripture in the story that it paints has better news. It's got good gospel news to vulnerable hearts. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us that among the names of Jesus is everlasting Father. Jesus, the Messiah, is to us an everlasting Father if we put our trust in Him, if we call Him as our Savior in faith, if we're united to Him and His perfection, and that's something that's available to us all tonight, even now. 
You can know Jesus not just as someone who saves you from your sin, that's your deepest need, but also one who meets your every eternal need as he fathers you eternally. Tonight we're going to spend some time thinking about what Isaiah means when he calls Jesus our everlasting father. What that means for us here in Eden Derry this Christmas season. Uh, maybe the first thing to address when we're looking at what it means for Jesus to be our everlasting father is actually a p- potential problem. Uh, and it's this. How can Jesus be father if Jesus is the son, the son of God? How can we call Jesus our father if he's the son? You see, Christianity has always taught that there is one God who is triune, the Holy Trinity. One God, three persons. And when we use the word person, whether that's the first person, the father, the second person, the son, the third person of the Godhead, the spirit. When we use that word person to describe a member of the Godhead, that doesn't mean people are person as we mean it in human terms. We use the word person simply because we don't have a word to accurately describe this mystery. It's far beyond our comprehension. But we know that God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we know that the Father is God, but he's not the Son or the Spirit. We know that the Son is God, but he's not the Father or the Spirit. And we know that the Spirit is God, but he is not the Father or the Son. We know that all persons exist, co-equal in essence and nature and power. So how can we call the Messiah, Jesus, who is God the Son, Father? Especially when theologians from the birth of Christianity has told us that the Son is not the Father, and to say they are is a heresy called modalism. How can we, along with Isaiah, call Jesus, who is the Son, Father? Well, Isaiah isn't thinking in Trinitarian terms here. Isaiah, when he speaks of the names of Jesus, is not thinking in terms of the Godhead. He he isn't conflating Father and Son. Isaiah is, is far more likely thinking about the Messiah's character when he speaks of him as everlasting Father. He, he's not so much thinking about who the Messiah is, but rather he's thinking about what he is like. So let's look, let's look at this Messiah. Let's look at what he is like under the title of everlasting Father. And let's start with Everlasting. What does the fact that the Messiah is everlasting tell us about Jesus and what he's like? Isaiah, probably more than any other biblical author, Old Testament at least, he he speaks with eternity in mind. The word everlasting appears more in Isaiah than anywhere else in Scripture. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when Isaiah points God's people towards their liberator, the Messiah, and that's what's happening in Isaiah 9. If you look at the surrounding context of Isaiah 9, uh, these verses of light and hope that are so famous, they're surrounded by verses of doom and gloom. When Isaiah points God's people towards their liberator, the Messiah, he points them towards God towards one who is eternal, who is everlasting. Only God can be described as everlasting. Who of us could say that we are everlasting or eternal? When Isaiah points us towards one who is everlasting, he's showing us that this Messiah is divine. This child that would be born to this people 
will be God himself. One who knows no end. Scripture tells us that only God is from everlasting to everlasting. That's how Psalm 41, 13 describes the Lord. God is an everlasting God, according to Isaiah 40, 28. God is one who makes everlasting covenant with his people, Genesis 9, 16. And God is one who loves his people with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Only God can be described as everlasting. And so when Isaiah describes this Messiah as an everlasting father, we're to realize that the Messiah that God promises to send and that we know he did send in Christ Jesus, he's God himself. The New Testament spells this out for us. John 1, which we read earlier, uh, it, it says this. It says exactly what Isaiah is getting at. The Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, is God. He's from everlasting to everlasting. John 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, John 1 tells us, is eternal. And he's not just eternal, but he's God. And he's not just God, but he is the God who has created all things. That's who Jesus is. Colossians 1 verses 15 to 17 hammers home the same point. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus, God himself, the God-man, is the one through whom all things were created. Everything that was made came to be in and through him. He is eternal. He is everlasting. And the gloriousness of what Isaiah says, that to us a child is born, to us a son is given, is reflected in John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, the one who is everlasting to everlasting, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He entered our world to reveal to us glory and grace and truth. You know, we so often sing of things like this at Christmas time, but whether it's through over familiarity or even sentimentality, we, we often miss the magnitude. We, we often aren't blown away by this as we should be, or at least I know I'm not. You know, last Sunday morning, we sang uh, the Christmas hymn, See Amid the Winter Snow. It's one of those Christmas songs that starts off with that sort of snowy language, but gets really good really quickly. And it has a line that sums this up. Though within a manger lies he who built the starry skies. The one who created all things. The God through whom all things were created entered his creation. The one who is eternal, who is everlasting, the one who created time and exists outside of time entered it. The father of time, as it were, willingly comes under the constraints and curses of time. 
the Son who is eternally begotten of the Father, was born of a woman. And why? Well, Isaiah says, to us, this child is born. To us, this Son is given. God took on flesh for us. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 puts it a different way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The everlasting Messiah, he emptied himself, he took on flesh, says Philippians 2. And he would go lower again for our sakes. He took on death. The eternal one died so that we may know life everlasting. With Jesus' title of everlasting father, we are reminded, especially at Christmas time, of the depths that Christ, the eternal one, God himself entered so that we may ascend to glory with him. And we know that we will because despite dying, death was defeated by our everlasting father. And Jesus has ascended to his, right, his Father's right hand, where one day we will reign and be with him. But Jesus is not just everlasting. He's an everlasting Father. We discussed this earlier. This doesn't make Jesus the Father. But instead it reveals his character to us. It shows us what Jesus is like. And Jesus is glorious, and Jesus is powerful, but he's also caring and kind. Jesus is fatherly towards us. Like a good father, he tends to our needs. He loves us well and loves us in the ways that we need to be loved, not necessarily the ways we want to be loved. And as a father, with his authority, he leads us. In ancient times, such as the times when Isaiah would have written this, kings often referred to themselves as the fathers of their subjects. They would rule over their people in a certain way. But like good kings, good fathers rule for the good of their children. And Jesus, this messianic king, is the same. He fathers his children for their good, not for selfish gain. We've just thought about how Christ left the riches of heaven to enter the poverty of the world in order that we may know him and share in his glorious inheritance. That was for our good, not his gain. He cares for us deeply as any good father would. We see that Jesus sacrificed his own ease and his own comfort for our eternal good. As a man, he suffered through the pains of this life, the rejection of the world, and ultimately death, so that he could meet our deepest need, salvation. Herman Bavink, a Dutch theologian who lived at the turn of the the 20th century, he said this, if for insignificant, guilty, and impure persons, that's us, by the way, insignificant, guilty, and impure. For people like that, there is to be a possibility of genuine fellowship with God, of salvation and eternal life. Then God, on his part, must reestablish the broken bond. Again, take them into fellowship with him and share his grace with them, regardless of their guilt and corruption. 
To do that, he must descend from the height of his majesty. Seek us out and come to us. Take away our guilt and again open the way to his fatherly heart. In other words, Jesus coming to us, taking on flesh, seeking us out, making us clean before God and allowing the possibility of a restored right relationship with God. That is the most fatherly thing that could ever be done. And it's a revelation of God's fatherly heart. Jesus, if you're in Christ, is fatherly towards you. Babbing goes on to say, if God were to wait until we had met ourselves worthy to receive his fever, salvation would forever be out of reach for us. If God didn't intervene, if he didn't step in, if he didn't do anything, our deepest need would never be met and we would be lost. If Jesus didn't stoop low, if Jesus didn't take on flesh, if Jesus wasn't born like everybody in this room, we would be in dire straits. And so the image we have of Christmas time of the baby in the manger isn't to be a a nice thing that we think about or something just to put on a card or act out in primary schools. It's a picture of Jesus, our everlasting Father, caring for us in a way so much more intimate and meaningful than we could ever comprehend. It is our everlasting Father fathering us in a way that makes an eternal difference. You know, I was, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a, a, in a house with godly parents who wanted the best for me. And I know that isn't the case for everyone. And as we see in Christ, God has grace for that. But, you know, I think of the, the sacrifices my parents made for me, whether that was money or time or effort. And as I'm starting to realize as a dad myself, sleep and energy and sanity. And the good parents make sacrifices for their children. But Jesus goes further than that. Jesus, our everlasting Father, blows the sacrifices of a good parent out of the water. See, in order to make us children of God and then care for us as children of God, Jesus didn't just make sacrifices for us, but he himself became the sacrifice for us as a way to ensure the best for us, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, life eternal with him. It's amazing. This fatherly heart of our Savior. It's infinitely more than all we could ask or imagine. It's beyond anything that we could ever think or dream of. And it's exactly what we need. And Jesus continues to go above and beyond as our Father. He goes beyond our need of salvation, as if that isn't incredible enough. He goes far beyond just our justification when it comes to fathering us. He's not the type of father who lets us stay in the house and eat his food and occasionally make use of his car and money if he's in the mood. No, he's the ideal father who's invested in every single aspect of our lives. He's someone who wants to be involved, who wants to make a difference who wants to help and encourage, to have an actual relationship instead of a standoffish, reluctant sort of father-child relationship. Jesus wants us to know and experience his powerful, never-ending care. Because he is an everlasting father, he wants to meet our every need forever. 
In entering this world as a man and taking on flesh and suffering in a broken world, Jesus was tempted and tried. He was put to the test. And so as a father, he knows what we go through. He is not unable to sympathize with our weakness, Hebrews 4 says. And so we can go to our everlasting father, our great high priest, with our struggles and our strife, knowing that he promises to care and give us mercy and grace. He's not the type of father who doesn't want to hear our problems because that will disrupt him. He wants to deal with our problems head on. He wants us to to grow and know him. And know him as the God who hears and cares and helps. Jesus is the father who wants to encourage you in your faith. In ascending to heaven to the father's right side, Jesus isn't escaping into his study or his office where we enter at our peril with fear of disturbing him. Jesus, as our everlasting father, is interceding for us. He's praying for us now. And he's never too busy and he's never too preoccupied with his work that now isn't a good time. In fact, if you're in Christ, you are his work. You are his business. You are his handiwork that he is completely and utterly preoccupied with and desires the best for. He wants you to come before him, to go to him with every need at any time, with your questions and your concerns, with your flops and your failures. He isn't absent, but instead he tells us that he is with us always to the end of the age. That is the fatherly heart he has for you. And Jesus, in revealing himself to us, shows us that he's not like the father that maybe we associate most with this time of year, Father Christmas. Jesus isn't the type of father that's making a list and checking it twice and only going to reward not the naughty but nice. Jesus isn't like Santa. He's not some monstrous legalist. And that's actually sometimes often how we view God. Someone who, despite what he says about our salvation, is really basing our value on whether or not we've done good things and avoided doing too many treacherous things. Jesus doesn't reward us based on our worth, but his, as the everlasting father who has brought us into his family and rewards us because we're in him. Now, that's not to say we are to disregard living for him. Absolutely not. Because when Jesus, as a father, corrects us, when he calls us to see our sin, to turn away from that and instead turn to him, he's not shouting at us angrily, waving a fist. He isn't yelling at us to get our acts together and stop letting the family down. He doesn't ladle on guilt in order that our behavior will just change and that he won't be bothered by those who complain about his children anymore. Now, when Jesus corrects us, whether that's in his word or through his people or through conscience, when our feelings are shown to us, Jesus always tells us to look to him and in him see our sin dealt with on the cross, to see help given to us at all times by our Father and to realize there's a better way to live, the way that he ordains full of life and joy and peace and living according to his word. As our everlasting father, he wants to transform us and our hearts and our lives so that we may be satisfied in him, become more like him and see that there is great reward in living a life that is pleasing to him. 
And Jesus as everlasting Father reveals to us that there is no difference between how he views us and how we often think that God views us. But he tells us, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, Jesus with his fatherly heart is a perfect revelation of what God is truly like. What is God like? Jesus. How does God view us? The way Jesus does. How will God treat us? As Jesus does. I don't know what comes to your mind, especially at Christmas when you hear words such as family or father. I don't know what those words do to your heart. I don't know how that makes you feel. But in Jesus, you have an everlasting father who does. Jesus, your everlasting father, isn't just aware of how you feel, be that positive or negative. But he's deeply concerned and intimately involved with every single aspect of your life. And it's not a one and done type thing, this concern that Jesus has for you. It's eternal. It's everlasting. You could say that he's in it for the long haul. Jesus has committed himself to you forever. To care, to lead, to guide, to love. The eternal one entered time. He was laid in a manger. He took on flesh with little tiny hands that while wrapping around Mary's fingers were still upholding the universe. Also that you may know everlasting fathering from a God who loves you deeply and cares for you intimately, and makes a difference eternally. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your Son, Jesus Christ, we are fathered eternally with care and compassion and love. Would you help us to realize the magnitude of the everlasting one entering time to reconcile us to you, and bring us under God-given care forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.